scripture to pull the message out today on the battle is the Lord's. The Lord's battle. If you're a child of God, you've been born again, uh, I assure you, you're going to face some battles in life. And, and uh, nobody ever uh, wants to talk about that uh, when we're talking about Christians. We think uh, when you get saved, all your troubles are over. Nobody wants to talk about Christians that deal with uh, maybe health issues or addictions uh, or uh, trials or, or persecutions in the workplace. Uh, nobody wants to talk about that, but it is real. It is real, and so we need uh, some help this morning. Verse 20, chapter 13, he says, And they took their journey from Sokoth and encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord, this is the part I need you to get, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And the Lord spake unto Moses. Now get this, this is a pattern we keep finding in the Word of God. We live in such an age, I'll, I'll make a little run, running commentary, where everybody wants to be uh, a, autonomous. You know, I, me, and, me and Jesus, we got our own thing going, and they want to huddle up in a corner uh, over there. And, and how this thing works, uh, uh, God did institute the church, and God does call men, and we're seeing how God uses he has men uh, to speak to the people. So it's God, the preacher, and then the people. Not that the preacher's any better than you. Not that the preacher's any higher than you. But that's just the way that God has chosen it. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to your heart uh, on a daily basis or an individual basis. But sometimes, uh, uh, a lot of times, weekly, uh, He will uh, uh, give or lay a message on the man of God's heart or your pastor's heart and to preach it and a lot of times I don't know why until later and it's God speaking through the man of God to the people and so he tells Moses here he said you speak to the people speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pyroth between Migdol and the sea over against Belzevon. But before it shall ye encamp by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh, upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, We have, uh, or why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took six hundred chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt, and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea besides Peroth before Belzephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, this is where we start getting into the message. 
He says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we t- did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord, there's my verse, the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Now, Lord, help us today. Help us to get some help and some edification from the Word of God. Uh, Lord, it's it's your Word, and, and it's real, it's living. There be folks in here that are backslid, that are astray. Uh, Father, help them. Uh, let the Holy Spirit work with their hearts, prick their hearts. If there be any lost, Lord, help them to fall under Holy Ghost conviction and come to know you today as their Savior. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, we see that the children of Israel, now remember last week, uh, God did not take them the easy way. God didn't take them the quick way. And the quick way would have been to come up out of Egypt and into the land of the Philistines. But the Lord said, I don't want them to face the battle uh, that severe yet. The Philistines were a warring tribe and they were a thorn in the side uh, of the Israelites when they did get into the, to the land of Canaan. David was all the time fighting against the Philistines. And so the Lord said, they're not ready for that uh, if they face that time type of warfare, he said uh, they would repent and go right back in to Egypt or back into the world, uh, Egypt being the type of the world. And so we see that God takes them the long way to the land of Canaan. He takes them a harder way, uh, and there's going to be a way to try them, to teach them. And God said that they were armies. They had marched up out of Egypt as armies in rank and file, but they had not been trained totally yet. So it speaks of discipleship. We see that with the blood of the Lamb, and there was justification down, and then God delivers them from the bondage of Pharaoh, the type of Satan, and from the bondage of sin down there, and lets them go and sets them free to the land of Canaan. But then he begins to sanctify them. Chapter 13, verse 1, he says, Up, sanctify the people unto me. And he begins to set them aside and begin to work with them and to train them. Beautiful picture of discipleship. You can't slice it any different than that. Training God's people, they need training. God's people need to learn more about God. But here in chapter 14, he's teaching them how to obey his voice. You can't do anything with anybody until they learn how to obey God, in this instance, 
in the moment. And so we see the hard way. And they knew it was the hard way. And now God says, you get camped up there right up against that Red Sea. Now, this would be a military disaster because on the right hand was a mountain range. On the left hand was a mountain range. And now they were cut off in this valley by the Egyptian army. A military disaster. And a lot of times God will lead you right into what man would call a military disaster. Remember Abraham when we preaching through Genesis. God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees and brought him right into the land of Canaan right in the middle of a famine. Remember that? And you say, wow, why would God do this to me? God's trying to teach you something. And God's trying to teach them something here. And God tells them, He says, now look, you don't need to be worried about this. You're exactly where I wanted you to be. And then He says, the Lord shall fight for you. So let me give you, by way of introduction, a couple of things that we need to understand about God. Number one, God's will will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. God's will will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. You say, well, brother, I'm in a place and the grace of God's not sufficient. Then maybe God didn't bring you to that. If God brings you to it, like He did the children of Israel here, the Red Sea, if God brings you to it, He will get you through it. These are truths that we learn from the Word of God. When Jesus becomes, let me, let me give this to you, because we learn this in chapter 15, and I almost preached chapter 15, chapter 14 together. But I want to use chapter 15 to preach about music or singing or praise and, and its position and where it's at in our worship. But we learn this in chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, that when Jesus becomes my God, then Jesus becomes my defense. When Jesus becomes my God, then Jesus becomes my defense. It'd be important to be saved. The devil, who is our adversary... He's going to move against us. The Bible is clear on that. If you got saved because you thought your troubles and your battles and the war was over, you've got another thing coming. You've been sold a bill of goods. When you get saved, that's when war starts because you're no longer the child of the devil. And just like the, the Israelites here, Egypt and Pharaoh come marching up out of there. They got to looking at one another and said, Hey, what in the world have we done? What, what, we're not going to build these cities. We're not going to cook for ourselves. We're not going to dress ourselves and make our own clothes. We need those Jews back down here. Let's go get them and bring them back down into bondage. And that's just what the devil does to you and to I. He's our adversary. And the Bible says he's an adversary like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Pharaoh is this roaring lion. And a lot of Christians, when they first get saved, they think, wow, some peace and quiet. No, 
Battles coming, wars coming, the devil's mad, especially if you've been serving the devil for a length of time. The older it seems like you get and you get saved older later in life, those battles are worse and harder because the devil had such a grip on you. Israel, the type of new Christians, they were not ready for battle yet. I, uh, the Bible likens this to the church, and I believe it has great application. So the Israelites, and why I started in verse 20 in chapter 13, they were supposed to be looking at God, the cloud, and the pillar. And all of a sudden, they look behind them. Not supposed to be looking behind you. They look behind them and they see Pharaoh coming up out of Egypt after them, and they realized quickly that they were outmanned, outgunned, and uncertain. And what I mean by that is they did not have a mind for war yet. They were not ready mentally to go against an army such as this. They were soldiers in training, learning to obey God in the moment. If God is to fight our battles, then we need to learn how to obey God in the moment. Let me give you an illustration that actually come to me. And yes, if you're going to be around me anytime at all, you could end up being an illustration. We had little Sid uh, the other day. When was that? Friday? It was Friday. Uh, cutie pie. A uh, little one she sang up there. Was that the first or second time she sang? Anyway, we come back from lunch because she wanted to play out on the playground. But Jen was working and uh, busy, and I told her, well, I'll take a little time, and I will uh, sit out here and watch her, and I'll soak up the sun. I'm supposed to be getting sunlight every day. And uh, little Sid was out there, and she was out there. She knew she was to play on that playground and, and to be there, and, and that was where she was supposed to be. And uh, I'm enjoying the sunlight. She's enjoying playing on the, on, the, on the swings and everything. And all of a sudden she says, hey. I was like, yeah. She said, I want you to push me on the swing. Now, I was thinking in my mind she was five. Time gets away from me. She's not. She's just three. But she, she's a little advanced. And she said, I want you to push me on the swing. I said, I ain't pushing you on the swing until you ask right. She's looking at me. She's looking at me. And then she goes over to that little table over there. She folds her little arms up. She's looking at me. And so I'm looking at her. And so then she hides herself behind a pole. So I can't see her. Her eyes anyway. And so she peek out around it. And I let that go on for about three minutes. And she finally says, I'm mad at you. And I said, you are? She says, yes. I said, why? Because you won't push me on the swing. I said, well, I tell you what, you need to come over here and sit down with me on the bench. We need to talk this out. We got something to talk about. And so she come over there. She's got a little arms folded and she's like, I said, so why are you mad? She says, because you won't push me. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, you think you're allowed or you should be allowed to do what you want? She says, well, yeah. And I says, well. I agree with that, but 
I also think that I should be allowed to do what I want. And right now that's sitting here digesting my lunch and soaking up sun rays. She's looking at me. She's like, I'm not buying all this. And I said, so if you want me to stop doing what I want to help you do what you want, you need to say please and ask me nicely. And then I will do that because I want to please you. She's looking at it, and I figured, well, she would say please and this would be over. No. No, not with Sid. She goes marching back up underneath the, the swing set and sits down at that table with her little arms folded and she's sitting there. And I'm like, wow, just like her mama. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. See, this is, this is what happens when you're close as a church family. And so I'm thinking, hmm, wow. And she says again, I'm mad at you. I said, okay, well, come back over here and let's talk this out. And I figured I could soften her up. You know, come over here and with Preacher Todd and, and, and we'll talk this out. And I'll get her to say please. And so she comes back over. And I said, so you still mad? She said, yep. I said, well, it's getting a little too long. If you don't get this right, now you're going to have to apologize. But right now, I'll let you go if you'll just say please. Push me on the swing. I said, I will jump up and I will push you on that swing. As long as you want. She looks at me again, marches back off again, and she's not going to say please. I said, all you got to do is say please. Mm -mm. Like, wow. So I'm thinking she's five, and I'm thinking, hmm. I found out later she's just three. I'm like, hmm. I'm pretty smart for a three-year-old, you know. And, and so uh, Jen comes out. Hmm, the mean one and y'all will get to know that I'm the nice one she's the mean one and so I began to explain to Jenny what was going on I said I'm working with her we're in the working process you know I'm working with her I'm thinking about this message and how God deals and works with us you say what was her problem well she was living in obedience because she was on the playground it wasn't like she was trying to run off she was playing on the equipment she was an angel at lunch. We went to Bravo's. She was very good. But she was not going to obey in the moment. She wasn't going to say please. And as I sit there and watch her, how is that like us so often? That God wants to be a good God to us. And God wants us to live in victory. But we ain't going to say please. And, of course, Jen come out and she says, I'll show you how to handle this. Hey, get in here. And I told her that was going to come. You're going to go to the timeout chair. And that was going to be bad. And I was going to try to let her slide on that because I'm the, I'm the good one. I'm the easygoing one. I, 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 you know, you ask my kids. I mean, <laughs> they're not buying this. Oh, I don't have you all convinced I'm the good one. Wow, all right, okay, I'm the mean one. Just not that day. And so she went in, Jen put her in the timeout chair. And she talked with her, and of course when I come in, she wanted to talk with Preacher Todd, and she said, I'm sorry. 
I, I should have said, please. I said, yes, you should have. I'd have pushed you all day long if you'd have just said, please. That's just like us. We're kind of living in obedience. We're in the boundaries and we're, we're, we're doing really pretty much what we're supposed to be doing. But then all of a sudden, something comes up like this battle. We're just not going to learn how to obey God in the moment. I'm going to give you three things this morning that I see here, that I believe that we need and that we need to pay attention to if we expect God to fight our battles. Number one, if we think that God is going to fight our battles, we need to learn how to obey God in the moment. We got that. But number two, you need to understand that God was not going to fight the Egyptian army in the land of the Philistines. That'll sink in in a minute. That because if God's going to fight the battle, it's going to be on the ground of His choosing. We're not in control. He was not going to fight this battle in the land of Egypt. He was not going to fight this battle in the land of the Philistines. And God was not going to fight this battle in the land of Canaan. God was going to fight this particular battle there at the Red Sea. You say, okay, but what's the significance of that? Well, if God is to fight our battles, and He says He is, and the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 45, that the battle is the Lord's. And we're His children. And He wants us to live in victory then we need to be able to encamp where he tells us in verse 2. Now, I, I begin to meditate on that. I've been reading it all week. and I just figured, you know, encamp meant camp, just camp. No, encamp is a little different. He uses the word encamp there in verse 2. Want to know why? Because this was an army. This was a group of people. And he wanted them to encamp. That means to assemble together and to stay together as a unit and to set down roots there where he had told them to encamp. That was something, they knew they were headed to Canaan, but this is something that come up in the moment that God had told them to do and he was taking them the long way. Encamped talks about a group of people or an army. Israel, the Bible's very clear on this, is the type of the church. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, growing, or a growing trend today, is people are forsaking the assembly. It's a very growing trend. I didn't realize it was as big a trend as, as I was thinking, but this is becoming a problem in the United States. And I'm not talking about people just laying at home and watching the live stream. I'm not talking about that. It's beyond that. These people, and it's a growing number of people, are forsaking the assembly. They're forsaking. They don't want to join any church. They're, they're like uh, uh, nomadic Christians. I preached a message a year or so back called uh, Homeless Christians. And they travel from church to church to church to church. They will, I'm not talking about God moving you. 
I'm not talking about trying to find out where you fit in the body of Christ. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about they have no intention of ever encamping with any assembly. They don't believe in membership anywhere. They're not going to be a member. They're just going to show up at the church they think is winning the most in the moment. And so anytime they see a Pharaoh marching up on a church and a church getting ready to do some battle spiritually, they're out of there. They desert the ship and they move on. Here's the problem. If you expect God to fight your battles, you're going to have to obey God in the moment and be encamped where he told you to be. That's important. God's presence was headed to the Red Sea, that cloud, that pillar. The Bible is clear to say where two or three are gathered together. Let me give it to you. In today's context, the Bible's clear that where two or three are gathered together in my presence, there I will be in the midst. And when you get ready to face a spiritual battle, when you get ready to face the trials in life, it's best that you're in the presence of God where that cloud is and where the pillar of fire is and where the light is. And the Bible says that should be in the house of God where the Word of God is and the Holy Spirit of God is in a good Bible-believing New Testament church. Now let me put a little meat on that. You can't fight the battles that you're facing without God. They're too big for you. There are many battles in this Christian life against the flesh, against the devil, and against the world. Battles with addictions, battles with sicknesses. Battles from persecutions. And my point in my message to you, and I believe God has given it to me, is you need to make sure that you're encamped where God has told you to be. Let me put it to you like this. You know you're supposed to be in the house of God. Jesus ain't going to bust down your door on Sunday morning run into your bedroom, splash a little cold water on your face, get you up, put you in the shower, right? He's making you some Hot Pockets, maybe a little oatmeal or a scrambled egg, and then lay your clothes out for you. I mean, y'all ain't going to be blessed like I am. I mean, it's how Jenny does me. And I, I don't want to go to church. She's like, you got to. You're preaching today. You're the pastor. I don't say that. Sometimes I think that. Come on, let's do this. But Jesus ain't going to do that. He's not going to put you in the car. And he's not going to put the Bible in your hand and take you to church. That's your part. And he's told you where you need to be encamped. And you're not going to get victory. You're not going to have victories in your life over the flesh, the devil, and the world unless you're in the house of God. You need to be in the presence of God. I find this amazing when people begin to face spiritual battles that they run from the presence of God. They run from the church. They run from the pastor. Just like Adam, run from the Lord in the garden. It's just in us. But if you want God to fight your battles, and Jesus is a man of war, and you can't fight this battle alone, then you need to be encamped where God says you to be encamped at. 
and get in there. And when those doors are open, you need to be there. You'll never get victory in your life when you're not in the presence of God. He said, well, I'm in the presence of God. I'm saved. He's, in, he's, he's inside of me. You've taught me that. Yeah, amen. Amen. And every one of those Israelites could have said that. But if they'd have been running back to Egypt, or some of them would have stayed in Philistine, and some of them would have went over here, they would have been destroyed. They had to stay together as a group. That's why I used the word encamped. You see, it's your responsibility to be where God has told you to be. And when you forsake that, then you can't demand that God help you with the battle you're facing. I believe this to be a spiritual truth. I believe this to give us some help, that if you need some help, and sometimes when people get saved, and, and I as the pastor say, good, God will help you with that addiction. God will help you through that. And then some of, some of you look at me and say, he's not helping. Get where God is. It'd be important to be encamped where God is. And that's why I want this church. They always feel and have the presence of God in here where He's meeting with us and that we can bring the pages of Scripture to life and God can help us. But if you want some help, and you need help. You're going to have to be where God's told you to be. Encamped. Number two. And this is the part that spoke to me. If God is to fight our battles. We need to learn how to stand still. He said that there in verse 13. Or verse, yeah, verse 13. It says, stand still. Now let me break this down. What's he talking about? Well, that word stand still means stop doing what you're doing. Now, let me clarify that. That doesn't mean become complacent. That doesn't mean become apathetic. He's not talking about an entitlement syndrome. He's talking about obeying God in the moment. See, they got to run in their mouth on the man of God. They got to uh, looking behind them when they should have been looking forward. Verse 10 said they were looking behind them. Shouldn't have been looking behind them, but they were. Then they were filled with fear. Verse 10. Have you ever been filled with Fear, I believe he even says sore afraid. Yeah, verse 10, sore afraid. Have you ever been sore afraid? Do you know what that means? That means you are so scared that you begin to do things that you would not normally do. I've seen men on scaffold that were a-okay before they got up about 25, 30 foot in the air and all of a sudden freeze up and get down on their hands and knees and then end up in a fetal position because they were sore afraid and then begin to cry because they were embarrassed because here they are 
in front of a group of men sore afraid. But people, they, they were sore afraid. And, and, and that was so much fear that they begin to say things that maybe they wouldn't have normally said. And they begin to blame the man of God. Verse 11. Why have you done this? Look at what you've done. We told you. Just leave us alone. We told you this would happen. And then they got to been running around like chickens with their heads cut off. So they didn't know what to do. They didn't like that dead time. I've been there. Y'all that's been with me all these years, that you've known that. I've had to go through some of these things. And so like, well, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What do we got to do? What do we got to do? Oh, we got to do this. We got to do that. We, we need to sell. We need to run. We need to do this. Let's, let's run around. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's see which way God wants us. And the whole time, God's like, just stand still. Stop what you're doing. They were talking nonsense. To Moses, you know, we need to learn, instead of telling God how big our problems is, we need to begin to tell our problems how big our God is. And sometimes, God wants you to wait. Just stand still. You think about kids. They hurt themselves or they get a splinter. And they see the sight of blood and they go call crazy. And you're trying to help them and they won't stand still. You say, hey, stand still a minute. Let me help you with this. Mm-hmm. Y'all can relate, can't you? We're just like that with God. God's timetable is not our timetable. This is a ministry crisis. Now, they didn't thank God for the crisis. You need to learn how to thank God for the crisis. I think one of the things that I think is important is that you are where God has told you to be. You need to be encamped where God's told you to be. Because if you get that sure, and you need to be sure about it because the devil's going to rock your boat on that thing. Then when this battle comes and you're going to face them, you're going to go through them. In the perfect will of God, you're going to face a foe that is bigger than you, stronger than you, and smarter than you. And it's going to eat your lunch. And God doesn't want you, one, talking smack. He doesn't want you running around like a chicken with its head cut off. He wants you to stand still. So if God is to fight our battles, we need to learn how to stand still. We need to be looking for ways to make God look good. You can't do that when you're so afraid. We need to pray fervently. That's one of the things. You want to do something? Pray fervently. Get to praying. Wait on the Lord. That's part of standing still. Now watch. But then you're going to take the next step of faith. Look at verse 15. That's why I read it. God tells Moses, he says, You part the Red Sea and you tell them to go forward. 
You know what that means? God wants us to keep moving forward, not backwards. They wanted to go backwards and slide and backslide back into Egypt. God wants you to keep moving forward for Him. Say, well, you just told me to stand still. Well, there's things you can do while you're waiting on God to fight a battle that's coming on the horizon. You can be furthering your discipleship. You can be drawing closer to Christ. You can be taking the next step of faith. Maybe it's, it's to be more involved in ministry. Maybe more involved in church. Maybe better involved at home. Maybe learning how to love your spouse better. But you're moving forward for God because God wants us to move forward for Him. The long-term goal was the land of Canaan, and God kept them moving in that direction, even though it was the long way. That's called, land of Canaan is likened to spiritual maturity. And so our goal today is to go and tell others about Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, winning souls, adding to the church. Moving forward. We can be moving forward while we're standing still by doing what God, obeying God in the moment and what He has told us to do. And then teaching and discipling people and helping people with their day-to-day -day struggles. While all at the long-term goal is conforming continually to the image of Christ. Are you in a battle? You've heard me say this. You're either in a storm. You're coming out of a storm. Or you're getting ready to enter a storm. And you're not going to get through it on your own. You're going to need God. And God said, I'll fight it for you. He's our Father. And we need to learn to obey God in the moment. Because we could experience so much more good in our lives. You say, well, I come to church. I understand. You're obey uh, That's why I use the illustration of Sid. She was in obedience. She was on the playground. She was playing. But then all of a sudden, in the moment, something had changed in the moment. She wasn't going to obey that. That is just like us. That's why God allowed that to happen, was to teach your simple-minded preacher a little something. You need to learn how to obey God in the moment. But I believe these three things will help you to make sure you're where God is and where God has chosen to fight your battle that you got coming. It's important to be encamped in the right camp. That's the right church. It's important that you stop talking smack, stop looking at others and complaining and blaming everybody else for a battle you know you got to face and get on your face, stand still, do some praying, and watch. He says, watch and see. We just don't want to watch. We don't want to wait and see. We want it now. But then... We got to learn how to move forward when God says move. Go forward. And he's talking about going forward for him. Not, he didn't say go back to Egypt. 
That would have been backwards. He said, go forward. They were heading to the land of Canaan. But he told them to stand still because he's going to take care of this battle. But you get prepared for the next step of faith, which was to cross that Red Sea. Now, I don't know what kind of battle you're in or getting ready to face. But I assure you, if you are saved and born again, you're not going to get the victory over that battle sitting on the couch feeling sorry for yourself while the rest of us are encamped in the house of God. You're going to have to get in the presence of God. You're going to have to learn how to stand still and give it to the Lord. And then while you're doing that, you're waiting on that. God says, now, stand up and get ready to move forward after I get done taking care of Pharaoh. We're too busy hiding on the park bench with our arms folded, looking crossways at the Lord. Because we're mad. We are. God wants you to have victory in your life. God had every design for His children to experience and live a victorious Christian life. But I believe it to be important that you're in the presence of God and where the people of God are camped. And that you learn how to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And that in the meantime, you prepare yourself to take that next step of faith for God. Let's all stand this morning. We need a song of invitation.